We're going to try that one more time. <clears throat> we got, I've gotten back together this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but summer is the perfect time to talk about wishes. I wished for iced coffee, and my wish came true. We have some delicious iced coffee. So I'm going to take a sip, keep my energy levels high. Are you guys excited to be here? That's like one of you. You're really making me feel good this morning about my message. Uh, I should just pack up. We'll go home. Chris, you want to close in a song? And <clears throat> You guys excited to be here? I'm excited to be here. I love coming to church. Sunday is the best part of my week. Uh, I love getting to see your smiling faces and your kids as they walk in. Uh, more than that, I just love being in a community with you. And uh, if you're joining us online for the first time, I want to say thanks. I certainly hope it's not the last but I also want to let you know that uh, our hope eventually is to see your face and for you to experience true, authentic community, and that's what you experience when you come to church. So that's my wish for you this morning. Uh, I wish that you were here, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Wishing's a really interesting thing. When we think about wishes, um, I don't know if this is the way it is in your family, but typically we say a wish and we have like a lit birthday cake, or when you, know, you walk by a, a, a wishing fountain. We were in Bar Harbor last week, and my little girl saw the fountain on the corner, you know, the one that has all the change in it. And I had to like run over and grab her. No, don't grab the coins. Yeah, that, like, like that's when we typically think about wishes. Or, or um, on Instagram, anybody on Instagram here? Well, that's like two of you. Like either you're all liars or we have like the most non, like social media driven church ever. I'm on Instagram. It's okay to say you're on Instagram. You're allowed to be on Instagram in church. It's not th- something you need to be ashamed of. Sometimes I'm on Instagram and I'll flip through the pictures, uh, and I'll see pictures of, of people at like a barbecue or a party, and I'll wish I was there. Like, why did I get the invite? I wish they at least invited, and then I could, you know, even if I denied the invite, at least I got the invitation. I feel good about myself. Occasionally, and this happens on occasion, I'll get invited to the party, and I'm sitting at the party, and you know what I'm wishing? I'm wishing the party was over so I could go home and put my pajamas on and like chill out and watch some Netflix. Like, that's what I wish. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? We, 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 we kind of wish this sometimes. Like, we, we wish for things that uh, perhaps we don't have. You, you guys know Skilo? Anybody remember the Skilo? No, Skilo, he wrote a song called I Wish, like circa 1995. Uh, I bet Skilo wishes he had just like one more hit because I think that was probably his only hit. So Skilo, if you see this later, we love you. But Skilo wrote a song called I Wish and... and uh, I'll, you know, we're going to play it, but me, you ready to play it? No. All right, I'll sing it. Oh, they are going to play it. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a good, there you go. He's saving me from singing it, so you should thank our sound guy. There you go. <clears throat> That's Skilo. Skilo had a lot of wishes. He wishes he was a little bit taller. He wishes he was a baller. He wishes he had a girl who looked good so we could call her. And then he, uh, I, I kind of lose me after that. He says, I wishes I had a rabbit in a hat with a baseball bat. It's like, Skilo, I don't know what you're like. I think he just had to rhyme some words. He kind of lost me after that. But it, the, the funny thing is we all have wishes. We all wish for things. And sometimes we wish for things that we wish we had. And then we get them. And it's like, why did I wish for that? Like, you know, a cat in a hat with a baseball bat. And I, I don't understand that. But the interesting thing is we do wish. And, and what's really interesting about wishes is it's easy to identify what we wish for other people, isn't it? Like maybe you have a roommate and perhaps you would say to your roommate, like, I wish that maybe you were here, like at this phase in your life. You have coworkers. I wish, I wish you were like at, at this point in, in your, your career or your journey. I wish maybe if it is a roommate, like, you know, you picked up your socks and you didn't play video games so loud and you went to bed at a decent hour. Maybe you have a wish... Uh, for, for your children, right? We all have wishes for our children. We, we see the potential in our kids, and I just wish that someday you would reach that potential. Or perhaps you're like me, and I just wish my kids would brush their teeth and go to bed. Like, <laughs> good, I'm good. Brush your teeth and go to bed every night, and I'm gay. Maybe you have a wish for your spouse, 
I do. I wish that my spouse would know how much I care about her. Maybe you wish for your parents. Maybe your parents are, are, are retired and, or you wish they could retire. Or maybe they're retired and you see a lot of your parents and they call a lot and you're wishing they would just unretire. <laughs> Whatever the wishes are, what's interesting about wishes is that it's so easy to identify what we wish for other people, isn't it? It's so easy for us to think, I can see you and I can see where you're at and I just wish that you were here. I wish that you would take this next step. And that's really what we're going to talk about is, is I see where you are, but I want you to take another step. I want you to go a step further. What's really challenging is when it comes to us. It's really hard for us to kind of navigate where, where we are and where we need to be. It's really hard for us to even admit that perhaps we're not where we should be in life. But if we were all to kind of take some assessment and look at our life, secretly, maybe internally, maybe you've written it in, in your diary or journal somewhere, we all secretly have wishes for the people we'd become or, or the family we'd become or the, the, the employees or employers we would become or maybe the small business owner we would eventually become. But it's hard for us to do that. It's so easy to see what I wish for other people, but it's challenging to see it in myself. But, but what we need to do is we need to know because once we know, we can start to grow. We have to know that, that, that perhaps we were here and we wish we were here. We wish that there was a next step. We wish we were further along the path. I wish perhaps that I was a better father or, or a better spouse. But we have to know where we are to, to know that I have to be somewhere else, that I have, I have a wish to continue growing. I have a wish to be further along than I am now. And maybe that's your wish. Maybe you think to yourself, God, I just need to get out of debt. Right? I, I just need this summer. I just need to, to put debt aside. Maybe it's, I, I know I shouldn't have gone out w with those people, and I, I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't go out with, with you know, the guys when we traveled. I, I wish, I wish that, that, that I didn't take that step or answer that call. Whatever it might be, we need to know where we're at and what, what we're doing and where we're maybe we're, we're dropping the ball a little bit so that we can also know where we have to go. What, what's wild is that when you read through the Bible, in particularly or specifically rather, the New Testament, it's amazing that we actually discover that God has wishes for you. I mean, do you ever think about that? That God has a wish for you? That God might look at your life and say, oh, I, I, I know you're here, but, but man, I so wish you were here. I, I see where you're at, and I know what you're going through, and I know what got you here, but man, if you could just see what's there, I just, I just wish that you were here. I wish you were here in your finances. I wish you were here in your marriage. I wish you were here in your relationship with your children. I wish you were here in your career. It, you, you have no idea what this looks like, but if you were here, your life looks so different. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning and you're watching online because somebody sent you the link or you're here because somebody invited you, whatever it might be, and you would say to yourself, I don't know that I really believe all this. One of the amazing things about our church, and I think there are so many amazing things about our church, and most of them are the people sitting in these rows, but one of the amazing things about our church is that you don't have to believe like we believe before you belong, that you can belong here and, and, and then over time see if you want to believe what we believe. So maybe you're here and you say, you know, I don't know that I buy into this whole Bible thing or this whole God thing. I'm not really sure I believe all that. But I, let, let me ask you a question then. What is it inside of us that makes us want, like, want to wish for more? 
It's like there's something in us that has this longing, this desire for more, something that, that we, we don't have yet or something that we haven't like reached or accomplished yet. It's like there's this thing in all of us that desires for more, for something better, for something we wish we were there even though we know we're here. And, and if we're just a bunch of cells, if we're just biology, like what is that thing inside of us? Could it be that perhaps that's the very thumbprint of God on our lives? That, that actually our wishes in some ways model in the image of God inside of us because your heavenly father has wishes for you. We're going to look at a passage of scripture this morning. When we talk about wishes in the Bible, they come across more often as prayers. And if you look through the New Testament, there are so many prayers that were given, Jesus and the apostles and Paul. And, and there's so many spots we can look at, but, but there's one prayer in particular I, w- I want to look at this morning where, where the idea is, is I, I love you and I see where you're at, but, but there's so much more in store for you. And I, I just, I wish you were there. We're going to look at, at a prayer that was given by the apostle Paul. Paul's this amazing kind of interesting character, right? He shows up on the scene as a, a hater of Christians, a persecutor of Christians, somebody who wants to put all Christians in jail. And then he has this, this radical conversion where he encounters Jesus and his life's changed and he spends the rest of his life, all of his energy, his blood, literally, his sweat, his tears, investing in the kingdom and planting churches. And, uh, the story that, that we're going to pick up with is written in Philippians. This is a letter he wrote to a church in Philippi. And if you want to, to read what kind of happens when Paul's in Philippi the first time on his, this journey where he's planting churches, uh, it's in Acts 16. Interestingly enough, we just concluded a whole series on Acts 16, so you can go back and listen to that series, uh, or you can read through Acts 16. It's, it's amazing. What Paul and, and his, his companions encounter in Acts 16 as they're traveling through Philippi, which is modern-day Macedonia, the, the events that occur there are things we'll never have to deal with in our life. They're absolutely fantastic. But Paul goes to Philippi, and he, he plants this church, and then he, he, he gets the church moving, and he, he puts a pastor in place, and he kind of goes along his journey. And then as he's, he's thinking about the church, he writes this letter back to them. And I'm sure as the letter makes its way back to this church, that people kind of gather around, and they're thinking, what would Paul, what, what could Paul have to say to us? Here's what Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians. He says this, and this is my prayer. I, I think about you often. You're on my heart all the time. And when I think about you, this is what I pray, that your love may abound more and more. And I, I know what you're thinking, like your love may abound, your love may, may, may grow. It's going to exist, and that's what abound means, to exist in large amounts. Paul's saying, I want your, your love to exist in large amounts, but I want it to continue to exist. I want it to, to grow in large amounts. I wish, this is my prayer for you. This is God's wish for you, that your love would abound more and more. And what love? Well, the love that you, you have for God, the love that you have for Jesus, the love that you have for each other, the, the love that you have for yourself. These are all really important aspects of love. Really, when it comes to our Christian faith, this is like the greatest thing of the Christian faith. As a matter of fact, Paul, in another letter to another church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 13, he writes to them a whole chapter on love. You know this chapter. It's recited at every single wedding. He talks about the whole chapter. He says all of these things that are so important of love, and there's faith and there's hope, but those are going to die. But love? He said love never dies. Love's like the Energizer bunny, and it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. And my prayer and God's wish for you is that your love would keep going and keep going and keep growing and keep growing, that it would abound more and more and more. At our church, we ask the question all the time, what does love require of me? And I think that that's an absolutely beautiful question. 
What would this love require of you in this season of your life, wherever you are in your relationships with your family at work? What does love require of you? Because really, that is the thing that sets Christianity apart. Love. That God so loved you, that you would so love the world. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he said it. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love so much. I want you to love the Lord your God with everything you have. I want you to love people as much as you love yourself. And when you do, he said, then your life will get better. I mean, we all want more love, don't we? I mean, every person would say, if, if I just learned to love more in, in my relationships, my relationships would be better. Every married person would say that, right? Every married hand should go up right now, or you're going to have a long talk on the drive home. <laughs> if I just learned to love better, if I just learned to love more, my relationship would be better. If I learned to love my spouse more in greater ways or in better ways, our relationship would be better. If I learned to love my kids in better ways or in greater ways, my relationship with my children would be better. Jesus said, that's, that's the key. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love people, your neighbors, as yourself. And you'll live the life. You'll live a good life because your relationships will be better. Your community will be better. Your church will be better. But Paul, how exactly do, do we do this? How, how do we help our, our love grow more and more and abound in ways? And so here's, I, I want to give you some details on that. If you really want to know how I want your love to abound, here are some details on that. He continues the prayer. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Those are really interesting words, aren't they? I'm going to tell you a story. It's, it's a story about the, the greatest gift that Tanya has ever gotten me. And make no mistake, my wife has got, gotten me some amazing gifts. Our first year of marriage, I took some of our wedding money, and I went out and bought an Xbox 360. Not the greatest move <laughs> for a newly married man. For that Christmas, which was just a few weeks later, although she was so mad that I went out and did that, she got me the game I wanted. Like, she has gotten me. This year for Father's Day, she got me golf lessons. God knows I need golf lessons. Like, she has got me some amazing gifts. But the greatest gift she ever got me was my second Father's Day. It was the year of, of 2012. My daughter had just turned one. And I remember we were still involved in church. So we were at, at Sunday morning service, and we came home. And my wife doesn't just do things simply. Everything is elaborate, and everything looks good. And she packed this gift, and it was on our island, and there were things around the gift. We're going to show you a picture of it. It's not going to mean much to you, but I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. Here's the picture of uh, the gift that my wife got me for Father's Day. Can you throw that one up? It's coming. It's just a big picture, so it'll get there. Um, I, I walk in, and I begin to unwrap this gift, and I, I'm looking at it, and here's the interesting thing. As I'm opening the gift, I don't appreciate exactly what it is until I get to the end of the gift, but... but I open it up, and I, you know, there's a, a French press, and I have a lifelong obsession with coffee, and I had just gotten really into French press, and she got me a French press for work. As you can tell, I was a little obsessed with the color green. She got me a matching cup, and she got me my favorite Starbucks blend and a Starbucks gift card. She made a homemade Father's Day card, like props to anybody who does that. She got me my favorite snack mix, and I needed a pair of sunglasses, and then my daughter, Isabella, she took some pictures of her saying, Dad, and I remember opening the gift, and it looks, even now, it looks like such a simple gift. But, but I unwrapped the gift, and I put it down on the table, and I thought, she knows me better than anyone else. No one would have known to get me something like this for Father's Day, but everything she got me had deep meaning to me. Everything she got me showed me how well she knows me. And then here's the thought that hit me. Knowing somebody is really difficult. 
And I'm still, like, I feel like I've learned my lesson, but the truth is I'm still learning the lesson. I've learned it like a thousand times, and I'm still messing up. I'm still trying to know her and understand her. But knowing is such an important part of love. It's such an important facet of love. The more you know, the better you can love. This showed me that the more she knew me, she could show me a simple act of love that to everybody else just looks like a simple Father's Day gift. But to me, it meant the world. Every one of those things went into my office. I was so proud of the picture and the French press. Can't tell you how many pots of coffee I brewed in that thing. And I still have, like, the cup is still sitting. It's broken and fractured, but it's still sitting on the shelf because she knew me. And by showing how well she knew me, I experienced her love. And Paul's saying, that's what I wish for you. I want your love to grow in that kind of a knowledge because the more you know God, the more you'll love God. And the more you know who God is, the more you'll appreciate God as a heavenly father. And the more you know who Jesus is, the more you see him as the image of the invisible father, the more you'll fall in love and want to be more like him. And the more you know the Holy Spirit and how he's living in you and he's lighting a fire in you and he's changing you and sanctifying you and making you more like Jesus, the more you'll grow and the more you'll appreciate. He said, that's what I want. I want you to grow in knowledge. The knowledge is the what of love. it's exactly what the what is. It's it's to know and to love more. That's not all. That's not the only way I want you to grow. I want you to grow in knowledge, but I also want you to grow in depth of insight. See, this depth is really interesting. This is the only time Paul ever uses this word in the entire New Testament. And the depth of insight is the why behind the what. The depth of insight is to understand why God loves you so much. Depth of insight is to understand why Jesus was willing to lay it all on the line for you. The depth of insight is is understanding why the Holy Spirit, why him being inside of us makes such a difference in our walk as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. The depth of insight in our relationship could be something like this. It's why I talk more gently to you. It's why I come home from work on time. It's why I buy you gifts that I know you're going to love. It's the why behind the what. Paul said, my my desire for you, my prayer for you, that God's wishes for you is not just that your love would grow and abound, but that it would grow and abound in in knowledge and in depth of insight. And he he continues. He says, and I, I pray all these things, that God wishes all these things so that you may be able to discern. Able is a really interesting word because sometimes I don't feel able. I don't feel like I'm able to do these things. I feel like, like I'm not, I don't have the ability. And what Paul is actually saying here is, is what's, there's more able. So you may not feel like you're able, but I want you to try to get more able. I want, you, I want you to be able so that you may be able to discern what is best. It's the ability to see what's best. It's the, it's the, the, the discerning of, of not just what's good, but, but, but what's best for you. And that's the ability that God wants for all of us. It's really the ability that he wants to help us all with. You see, if you don't decide, and we know this, if you don't decide what's best for you, somebody else will. If you don't decide what's best for your life, somebody else is going to decide it for you. If you don't decide what schedule is best, what pace is best for your family, somebody else is going to decide that for you. You have to to discern. You have to determine. You have to examine. You have to identify. You have to decide What's best for me? What's best for my relationships? What's best for my marriage? Or somebody else is going to decide for you. You say, well, Jim, I've never decided those things. But your family still has a schedule. Your relationship still has a path. 
You can decide not to decide, but somebody else is going to make that decision for you. Paul says, I want you to do that. I want your love to grow in knowledge and depth of insight so that you're able to discern what is best. And that's, that's really interesting to me, what is best. You see, when we look at, at, at the decisions we have to make, and we have to make decisions every day, our decisions usually are, aren't like these incredibly morally right or incredibly morally wrong decisions. Have you ever noticed that? It's not like I, I wake up Monday morning and it's like, oh, I, I'm not going to do that because that is so bad. I'll go to prison or I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that because, you know, that's the great. Like, that's not how our decisions typically work. Typically, our decisions look a little like this. That's good, but that might be a little better. That, that, has, that has good value, but that has better value. But this looks tough, and this looks a whole lot easier. See, this gives me gratification now. But this, I might not see the results of to my future. See, often we get confused. We get derailed with what's good. And we give up on God's best. Far too often, we let good get in the way of what God's best is. I, I want it now. It's easier. It's still good. Yeah, but it's not the best. You see, when you care more about the boat than the people in the boat, you've settled for what's good instead of what's best. When we get distracted by all the shiny things in life and the things we could have and the things that are going to bring gratification right now, it's good. But sometimes you have to ask the question, what is God's best? Paul said, that's what I want for you. I want you to have the ability to discern what is best. And not just in, in, in those things in your life, but even in your relationships. You can do something as a couple or as a family, and that's, that's good. But Paul said, have you taken the time to discern what God's best might be? It might look different. It might not bring the gratification right now like this decision would. But in the end, you are going to be so much happier. He said, that's my wish. That's my prayer for you, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and you may be pure and blameless. And now we're going to get really kind of heavy, really deep here, for the day of Christ. He said God has an end game here. God wants to continue to do this work, and he's going to continue to do this work until the end of time, until all time ceases, until life changes forever. God is going to continue to do this. He wants you to be pure and blameless, filled, filled with the, 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 the fruit of righteousness. And, and purity and blameless are kind of the, the expressions of righteousness. He said, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God, to the glory and praise of God. I know you're quiet and I know you're a little tired, but there should be an amen after that. Like that is awesome. I don't understand everything else he said, but I get this. That God wants to do something in me that's going to continue to happen until Jesus comes and it's going to bring God glory. Amen. I'm in. But God, what about this whole purity and blameless thing? Like, I don't know about you, but I've never woken up in the morning and asked God to have a real pure day. Right? It's not like you wake up and you write, dear diary, today's going to be a great day. I'm going to be pure and blameless. Like, no one ever says that. right? Like, purity? Nah, that's not interesting. Blameless? I just kind of hope I don't get caught. Really, that's what it comes down to. Like, like I, I, this makes no sense to me. Why would, I, why would I care about being pure and being blameless? See, but this is ultimately what God wants. 
really, this is what we want. And God said, this is just the road to get there. We all want to be happy. I know Pharrell made it look cool, but he didn't own it. We all want to be happy. We all want joy. We all want peace. God says, these are all good things. These are great things. This is my best for you. But you want to know how to get there? I want you to take the road of purity and blamelessness. But God, I don't even know what that looks like. He said, here's what it looks like. Purity. Purity brings clarity. Have you ever realized that Jesus, his own words that, that the pure in heart will see God. Purity makes it clear so that you can see, so that you can discern what's good and what's best, what's, what's bad and what's helpful. He said, you want to be able to see where your life's going. You want to be able to see where you are and, and see over there to where you wish you could be. He said, then you need to be pure. What's amazing is how sin distorts the vision. We allow sin to come in, and it distorts how we see. It distorts how we, we see ourselves or maybe the hopes and, and, and the visions we have for the future. He said sin is going to distort your vision. So I want you to be pure. That's what it means, to be pure, to, to have no sin, so that you can see clearly, so that you can discern what's best, because you'll be distracted by, by what is good. Purity brings clarity. You see, what you allow in determines how you see out. So what are you allowing in? Is there, there sin in your heart? Is there sin in your life? Is there something that, that's, that's causing your vision to be blurred? You ever tried to walk around in, in, the, like, in a house with sunglasses on? It's hard. Your depth perception is off. You run into things. It doesn't look good. It's not clear. I said, I want it to be clear. But to be clear, you need to be pure. And what about this blamelessness? What does it mean to be blameless? To be blameless is to have a clear conscience. That's really what it means. Blameless is, is having a clear conscience. It's being able to walk around and bumping into somebody and not, and not trying to avoid, like you see him in the grocery and you're like, duck by the aisle because you want to avoid the conversation. It, it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's being able to see people run into them and, and, and not have to hide away because there, there's none of this baggage. There's nothing between you. I, I'm blameless. And that doesn't mean you've never done anything wrong. It means you've done something wrong, but you've apologized and you've asked for forgiveness and you've been forgiven, so now you're blameless. He said, that's what blamelessness looks like and that's what I want for you. Do you want to know what's going to help you sleep at night? Ambien. <laughs> but if you don't need Ambien, do you want to know what else is going to help you sleep at night? Blamelessness. People can go to bed with a clear conscience. People who can put their head down and they don't have to worry about their interactions or about people and what they could have said or what they did say and... and no, they're blameless. They're forgiven. There's no weight against them. There's no pressure. The anxiety and the fears about people and what you've done or what you said and that coming back to get you, it's, it's all gone. And you're blameless. That's what God wants for you. And all of that sounds amazing, doesn't it? But if you're anything like me, you, you sit back and you said, but all of that looks hard. It's really difficult to continue to grow in, in, in my love and have my love abound. It's difficult to grow in knowledge and grow in depth of insight. I, I understand that God wants the purity and the blamelessness and the fruit of righteousness. All those things sound good, but, but it's really hard because I like to watch a lot of movies. And I like to hang out outside. And life gets in my way. And maybe you're sitting here or you're sitting at home and you're thinking, Jim, all of that sounds good, but... But that's really difficult to do. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to let my love grow. I don't know how to grow in the knowledge. I, I don't know how to do all that. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, this is really difficult. It's almost near impossible. Here's the good thing. You're not alone. 
As a matter of fact, it's almost like, like Paul knew that's where we'd go, that Paul knew that this is where our minds would go, to, to, to it being almost impossible to do these things. It's almost like, like God knew that's where we'd go. So we need to start back at the beginning of the prayer. We started the prayer at uh, Philippians 1.9. We're going to go back to, to the beginning of the prayer in verse 4. This is, this is how Paul opens the prayer, and I think it's absolutely beautiful. He says, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. You almost imagine Paul being really giddy as he's, as he's like talking this through. to the, like He's just excited. There's just joy in him. And he, he thinks about the people in Philippi. And he's just excited about what could be in their lives, about the potential he sees in them and what God's doing in them. I'm just filled with joy. Why, Paul? I have this, this overwhelming confidence. I, I'm being confident of this. And he uses this, this phrase for confidence. It's absolutely amazing. It's like this perfection of confidence. I have absolute assurance. If there's anything in life that I am absolutely sure of, it's this thing. And then he drops this statement. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Has God ever done anything good in you? You can all nod yes. You're here. You're alive. You're breathing. Of course God has done something good. Maybe, maybe you just came through a season of your life where you would look back and you could see God in, in it now. Maybe in the season you didn't see it, but you look back and say, but God was there and he comforted me. And God was there and he provided for me. And look what God did. I, it's amazing. Of course God's done something for us. I don't know if you're this way, but I'm definitely this way. I, when I think about my life, I think about it in, in, in a series of images. It's almost like, like you're walking into an art studio, which I know is like super indie of me, but it's like you're walking into an art studio, and the studio is like, it breaks apart your life, right? And there's act one, and you have images of, of what your life was like as a child, or maybe it was the house you grew up in, or memories that, that kind of uh, uh, just compile that area, that stage of your life. And then there's act two, and I look back on all these images, and I think to myself, these are all amazing, but God, they're all unfinished. I look at my career and, and, and my job, and, and I know you would think, like, you should have total confidence. You started this. I have no confidence. And I walk around kind of on eggshells, and I'm not really sure how to do this, and I hope I'm doing the right thing, and I and I'm hope I'm leading the church well, and I'm hope I'm, I, I'm preaching well, and I'm hope I'm, the words are changing people. I, I just I hope and I wish, but I'm not really sure. And I look at that image, and I think, God, it's unfinished. But then I look at my family, and I, you know, I have a wife who's gorgeous, and I have three incredible kids, and mainly because my wife can't keep her hands off me. And I, I look at, <laughs> if you know my wife, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I look at that image of my family, I think, God, it just looks unfinished. And then I look at my future and I think of, of like Act 3 and Act 4 and, and it's like, yeah, I can see it out there, but they're, they're blurry and, and it's not all together. And it looks unfinished. I, I don't know how to make any sense of it. And to be honest, God, I'm really not sure how to complete it until you finish this statement. You see, Paul didn't say, I'm so filled with joy and so confident because he who began the good work in you. That's awesome. It's how he concludes the thought being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. And I think that's good news to you. That God didn't just start something and kind of send you out on your own and spin you off and good luck. I hope, I hope you get it done. He said, no, I'm going to continue to do that thing. 
That whatever it is that I started, that maybe I started in, in a moment of hardship, and maybe I started in, in a moment where you felt like broken and your life had no meaning, and, and now you're kind of working through it, and it just seems like I'm really not sure what it's going to look like. Ah, I'm going to complete it. You see, one of the most amazing things about God is, is God didn't, isn't leaving us alone. It's not like, like God takes us and he puts us on this island and he says, okay, I want you to figure that out. And I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do some things and I'll come back and check on you and, and you better have it ready to go or I'm just going to forget about you. No, he, he said, no, no I'm, I'm here and I'm going to help you. I'm not going to do it for you. I need you to participate with me. But I'm also not going to make you do it alone. He who began the good work in you. He wants to see it through to completion. He made you. And he has a purpose for you. And he's beginning to do something in you. And the beautiful part is he's going to see it through to the end. You're not here to do it alone. You don't have to try to figure life out alone. You don't have to try to figure out the next step alone. You, you may not be able to make the picture complete. God says, don't worry. I can. Yeah, but, but God, when I, when I look at my pictures, when I look at my past, all I see is brokenness. You see, when you look at your past, my guess is all you see are the problems of your past. You see bankruptcy, and you see debt, and you see brokenness, and you see abuse. You see one failed relationship after failed relationship. You see new job after new job after new job. All I see when I look at my past, God, are the problems. But that's not what God sees. You see, your perfect heavenly father he looks at you, and you may see the problems of your past, but he sees the potential of your future. He sees all the hopes and all the wishes and all the dreams that you might have, that, that he even has for you. You see all the problems. He says, no, I, I see all that. that that's, I, I'm finishing that work. I'm completing that, and I've got something better in store for you. I see all the potential. I see where I could take you. I see what life could be like because I'm your perfect heavenly father. But God, I'm, I'm feeling lonely. And he says, no, that, that's unfinished. I am with you, and I'll never, ever forsake you. But God, I'm worried, and I'm anxious, and, 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 but, but, but I'm here. And, and, and if you can see me, I will bring you peace that passes all understanding. But God, it's like I'm completely forgotten about. He said, but I haven't forgotten. I still remember. As a matter of fact, I have numbered the very hairs on your head. I know everything there is to know about you. You see, really, God just want us to, wants us to see him as a perfect father. Maybe you're sitting here, and you're one of the rare people who say, yeah, but Jim, that, that's, all of that's great, but everything in my life's fine. Everything's good. And God would say, yeah, yeah but that's, that's unfinished too. Because you may think that that's it, but I have so many bigger dreams. I have so many bigger wishes. There is so much more I want to do with your life. That's not even complete. You're only seeing a small picture. I'm seeing all of it. I see the potential in you. I see your hopes and I see your wishes. I see my wishes. See, God's wishes for your future are way greater, so much more than his worries about your past. But God, I hear it all the time, but if you only knew, God says, I know, but I'm more worried about where you're going. God looks at you. He's not sitting in a corner biting his nails like, oh, God, look what they did. What am I going to do with him? What am I going to do with her? They just screwed up their whole future. 
He looks at you and he sees the potential of your future. And then he says, how am I going to help you? So it leaves us all asking this question, a question that I think needs to be answered. What does God wish for me? And I, I know all the things we covered, right? I know that God wishes that your love would abound more and more and that you'd grow in knowledge and depth of insight, that, that you would be full of, of purity and blamelessness, so that the fruit of righteousness would bear forth. And I know all of that. And that is exactly what God wants. But let me get a little bit more specific with you this morning. What exactly is God wishing for you and for you and for you? If you're in your teenager and you're hearing this, what, what is God wishing for you? Maybe it really is purity and blamelessness because that is so incredibly difficult to do as a young person in this world. Maybe he has bigger hopes and bigger dreams about your future than you've even dared to think about yourself. Maybe you're a young professional who's going to work tomorrow and you hate your job and you dread your job. What is God wishing for you? Maybe he sees more potential in that job than you can. Maybe he sees the future fruit from that job that you can't see yet. Maybe you're a parent, and it just feels like I've lost it. My kids are nuts. They don't brush their teeth. They don't go to bed on time. My, my marriage is struggling because of my kids, and they're taking all my energy, and I have none left for her, and I, I hope she knows how much I love her, but I can't show her how much I love her because every time I buy a gift, I don't have the knowledge to know exactly what to get her to make her feel loved, whatever it might be. What is God wishing for your family? Maybe, maybe you're an empty nester, right? You're, you're, your kids are out of the house, and you're kind of sitting back, kicking your feet up, and it's like, I'm just going to watch my 403B grow, and like, I'm done, right? I, I've done it all. I've worked hard. I've raised kids. I'm kind of done with, with all, all the demands on life and, and, and all of this. I, I'm done. Could it be that God's looking at you and saying, yeah, but I'm not? There is so much more to be written. Your story is going to impact somebody else's life and make their story even better. I'm not done with you yet. What's God wishing for you? See, my prayer as your pastor is that you would have the courage to ask that question and to see the answer and to take a step in that direction. See, you want to know what one of the amazing things is? Like, you want to know what God needs to make this happen? what God needs to, to get you from where you are, because all of us are still kind of at this wish phase in our life. He needs you. That's really what God needs. Now, I, I know God, like, that sounds like, like heretical. That doesn't sound like proper theology. God doesn't need anything. He lacks for nothing. I get all that. But God's also not going to force you to do this. He, he needs you to take a step. All of us at some phase in our life, we're still at, at this kind of wish point in our life, right? We're, we're still kind of here where I, I see where I am and I, and I have wishes for the future. I have wishes for my family. I have wishes for my career. And God says, I see you here, but to get you from wish to here, do you know what I need? I need you. I need you to be willing to let me help. I need you to be willing to let me step in. What I really need is for you to surrender. Say, God, whatever it is, whatever you wish for me, yes, the answer is yes, I'm in. I, I, I may not know it all yet. I may not know exactly what the future is going to unfold or what my family is going to look like or what this career may, may like, shape up to be, but, but whatever you want, God, whatever you wish for me, the answer is yes. I'm in. Let's get this started. We know what God says? Here we go. Let's do this. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not expecting you to do it on your own. But if you can surrender to me, I can help you. And I can take you from where you are to where you and I both wish 
you would be. He who began the good work in you. Be faithful to complete it. What is God wishing for you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this. God, I know this looks completely different in so many of our lives, Lord. How this plays out, what the wishes are, God. And I know it's going to be challenging for us, Lord, to to first to know where we are, to know that perhaps we're not exactly where we want to be yet. But God, I pray that as we ask ourselves this question, as we pray this question, Lord, what, what what do you wish for us? God, I pray you'd give us the courage, first of all, to ask that question, and then the wisdom, God, to see the answer and to pursue it. God, help us to take a step in that direction. Give us the courage to take a step in that direction. God, and and regardless of what that might look like for us, Lord, if it's life change, if it's something big, God, some of us already even know the answer. We've just been holding back because we know what it's going to take. Would you give us the courage to step in that direction? God, would you complete the good work in us that you've already started? In Jesus, your Son and our Savior's name I pray. Amen.